0: Hi friends, this is episode 70 of the Bible Lab Podcast.
1: You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice.
0: Hey everybody, thanks so much for going on this journey with me. We are about to launch a brand new series. I can't wait for you to dive into it. It's called God's Blueprint, and it's all about what God wants us to know about how he wants to build us not only as individuals but also as a body of believers we call it the church but this letter to the ephesians probably is more relevant to us today than ever before we had a great conversation especially today we talked about predestination now i don't know what your views are on predestination whether you've really struggled with some thoughts about it or you've never thought about it before but by the end of this conversation i think you're going to get a real sense of what does the Bible say? Because it does talk about predestination, but it talks about it in a different way than a lot of people have defined it in the past. So I can't wait for you to go on this journey. Make sure you go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and go to the episodes page that has this episode. And make sure you click on the little red icon that is the... Um, study guide that goes with this because there's a lot from the study guide I want you to see today so you won't get lost in this conversation but I'm really excited you joined us today welcome to the Bible Lab all right so take out your yes no and maybe cards I'm going to read through the yes no and maybe statements here five statements if you agree raise a green yes card. If you disagree, raise a orange, or for Rook players, I think that's a yellow no card. And if you just can't possibly commit, raise the purple maybe card. You guys ready? All right, here we go. I am more blessed than the people sitting on either side of me. Oh, that's a tough one, but you were quick. You were quick on this one. Okay, we are... are (laughs) (laughs) The funniest thing is no one's looking at me, you're all looking at each other. <laughs> and the funniest thing is, uh, w- yeah, we're, we're like 33% everywhere, yes, no, and maybe. It's an even split, but it's scattered. I've never seen a more scattering of, of answers. But the funniest thing, you're looking at each other. I have no idea what your no means and I have no idea what your yes means and I have absolutely no idea what your maybe means, but I can tell by you chuckling at the person next to you, you already have great lunch conversation for today. Number two, God predestines people to be saved. God predestines people to be saved. Oh, look at this. Okay, I did not expect this. I am seeing about 90% yes and about 10% no. And probably why I'm saying 90% yes is because all of you realize it's a trick question. And you want to say no. So you raise the yes card. Number three, you can have predestination and free will at the same time. You can have predestination and free will at the same time. Once again, whoa, I see even more yeses. About 95% yeses. I'm seeing about 3% no's and 2% maybe, okay? This is gonna be good. Because many of us grew up saying, I don't believe in predestination, right? Yeah, Yeah, I don't believe in predestination. We're gonna talk about it, because predestination does exist, but not like what people have taught it to be. So we're gonna look at predestination and it's one of the coolest things you're going to leave here feeling so good. I, I, I can guarantee a couple of things today. Your chin's going to be held a little higher and your shoulders are going to be more straight and not slumped when you walk out of here today. Because when you see what God has planned for you, specifically for you, it won't simply change your perspective of God. It's going to change your perspective of you. And we're going to get into that today. Number four my salvation is guaranteed. My salvation is guaranteed. Once again, I'm seeing a sea of green. The majority of you are saying yes, but there are still some of you, about 3% of you, 4% of you saying no, and the rest saying maybe. Can I ask you a question that's not on the sheet? Thank you, because I was going to do it anyways. I'm in charge here. If Jesus were to come in two seconds, two seconds from now, one, two, Jesus were to come in two seconds, how many of you are going to heaven? Yes. Uh, If yes is I'm going to heaven, no is no, maybe is, well, I don't know. There's still things I'm working out in my salvation. Okay. I knew I loved this group, and this is the reason why. I've asked that same question. By the way, for those of you who uh, are listening on the audio, um, we had like 99 point something percent yes out of a couple of hundred people here, about two hundred and fifty people here, said yes right away. I've asked that same question maybe a hundred times, maybe more, around the world. And every single time I ask that question, maybe it's because they aren't part of the Bible lab, but every time I ask that question, only 10% of the group ever raises their hand that yes, if Jesus comes in two seconds, I'm going to heaven. And it's been consistent. This is the only place, the only group that's raised yes. And I know why. Because you, you wanted to say no. Because uh, there's still things you're working out. But you know these five. Just, just raise the opposite. And I, I know. You're nudging the new people here and say just whatever you think, raise the opposite. And you'll be okay. You won't be embarrassed. It's the saddest thing to me around the world asking the same question. If Jesus comes in two seconds... How many of you know right now you're going to heaven? That only 10%. If I have a group of 30, i got three that raise their hand. When I ask the question, why? Why? Do 90% of you think that you're not, you're not going to heaven or you can't raise your hand? Yes, I'm going to heaven. And they repeat things I heard my entire life. Well, there's still things I'm working out in my salvation. So my response is, so it's based on works. No, no. It's a, we have such a challenge in our practiced theology, not in our. Yeah, we can raise a, a card. Yes, uh, yes, I believe you're. You know, you're you're saved by grace. Um, we can say that, but how we live out our salvation is not as if we have a guarantee. Like, you know, I don't care what you say. I'm guaranteed. I'm going to heaven. Um, And we're gonna talk about that because Ephesians is God's blueprint. As he's building his church, his community of believers, as he's starting the first Bible lab with a group of people who are trying to figure out what does God want from us? Where's my place in salvation? What do I do? What do I not do? How do I live? As God is designing the blueprint of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, a Christian. The book of Ephesians opens this whole thing up. The problem is we can quote the scripture, but there's still things we're working out in our own salvation. And by the end of this series, I hope we have a fresh new perspective that's not based on either good sermons or bad theology, but it's based on God's blueprint of what does he say to this group of people who lived in a world that's not much different than the world that you live now, and we'll talk about that as we get into it. But number five, last yes, no, and maybe question uh, statement, the opposite of the mark of the beast is the mark of the Holy Spirit. The opposite of the mark of the beast is the mark of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm seeing a lot of yeses. I'm seeing about 85% yeses, I don't see any no's. If you have a no, raise it really high because the rest I'm seeing is maybe. Okay, I see two no's and I the rest are maybes. Okay. I have been asked this question more times than I can count. What is the mark of the beast? What's the mark of the beast? You can't seem to have an evangelistic seminar A series of 27 to 29 sermons stretching six weeks to convince people that they should become part of your church without having at least one night that focuses in on what is the mark of the beast. But after we read through Ephesians, I think we're going to be a little embarrassed that out of most of our evangelistic series, we never have a night that's the most exciting of all called the mark of the Holy Spirit. Because you can know the mark of the beast, that's, that's cool. You can know what the enemy is all about, that's great. But it's not gonna save you. Uh, I've shared this with some of you before. Uh, one of my friends uh, in Sacramento, when I was working up there, he took me out to lunch. And um, he worked for the Secret Service. And so he, uh, a part of Secret Service, what, what they do is, uh, is counterfeit detection. Uh, they find counterfeit bills in places that, that print counterfeits. And so he pulls out this 20, he says, hey, Roy, here's a counterfeit bill. Can, can you spot all the things that are wrong with it? And I found about 13 or 14 things that were wrong with this $20 bill. It was obviously a counterfeit until he laughed and said, no, that's actually really a $20 bill. (laughs) So I promptly took it to my Bible class I was teaching in high school at that time. And, uh, and I gave them a counterfeit bill and passed it around. We found over 100 things wrong with that $20 bill. And uh, then I shared with them, no, that's, that's really a $20 bill. If I had a counterfeit, I could be arrested. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for something that's wrong, you can find it even with the genuine article. And my friend who's a Secret Service agent, he says, look, I said, well, how do you spot a counterfeit? How can you tell what's a counterfeit or not? He says, well, let me tell you part of our training As part of our training, we're never allowed to handle, inspect, or study a counterfeit. We are only allowed and required to hold the original. Study, know the original, and if a counterfeit ever comes our way, we can spot it in an instant. And so we're gonna study the original blueprint of God's character. We're not going to worry about marks of the beast. We're not going to worry about the don'ts. We're going to show in Ephesians, what does God say we do in our life to become genuine articles? When people say that's a Christian, they're not pointing to a counterfeit. And that's what we're going to get into. And so let's open up God's word. I've printed it out here on the study guide for you, or you can follow along in your own Bible and underline and take notes if you'd like. But we're gonna go through the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter one today. And the NIV reads this way. Ephesians one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm gonna stop here because starting with verse three and running all the way to verse 14, in Greek, this is one sentence. It's the longest sentence in the Bible. I, if my memory serves me correctly, it's 269 words in the Greek language. They did, they did not put a punctuation, a period punctuation, from verse the beginning of verse 3 to the ending of verse 14. Talk about a compound, compound, complex sentence, all you English majors out there. Paul takes a huge breath. And says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We put a period there, and we change words just simply so we can take a breath when we're reading it. But just understand, these periods are just from the interpretation as we translated it. Verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be, uh, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Longest sentence in the Bible, verse three to 14, right there. A lot is in it. In fact, we're not gonna be able to get to all of it, but I want to get to as much as we can. So I'm gonna give you just a real brief, incredibly painful for me, but very brief introduction into this entire letter. So what's the setting? First of all, it's called Ephesians because this letter is to the church in Ephesus. But many commentators say that it wasn't just one church. It was meant for all the churches in the area. So where is Ephesus? What is Ephesus? Uh, What's it all about? It was a very large city for its day, population around 300,000 people, which is a large city in those days. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia, not eastern Asia, but you know they called it Asia there, but the Roman province of Asia in modern Turkey is where it was located. Uh, it was a leading trade center. It's a seaport town, so it's a leading trade center where these ships would, would come in to the harbor, and, um, and so it's uh, a, a very important import-export place for the Roman Empire. It's the center of the worship of the pagan goddess Diana. And so there's this huge temple uh, to Diana right there. It causes a lot of problems. It's a major city because, you know, almost all major apostles went through it. In fact, John, the apostle, after he gets out of uh, Alcatraz of the day, known as Patmos, he uh, spends the remainder of his life in Ephesus beautiful town. It's uh, also the place that uh, legend has it that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, ended up moving to that city as well uh, for the remainder of her life. Um, so definitely an important town. Um, this temple there to Diana was known as one of the uh, wonders of the, of the world, of the ancient world there, and it's also a place where a lot of trouble came Uh, when the uh, apostles cast out a demon out of a girl who's telling futures and fortunes, and all these guys who are making silver idols to the goddess um, are losing business, and so they got to get rid of these Christians in this town because uh, it's really bad for business because the one thing the town's known for, which is this center of of the goddess Diana, the Christians are saying, yeah, that's a fairy tale. The real God, the real powerful God um, came down, And uh, came as a Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And so it's really turning this city upside down. If you look at the entire letter, let's just take a big high orbital picture, uh, looking from the beginning to the end before we get into the hyper focus, the the granular stuff. Um, You can picture the entire letter by three different body positions three different body positions. The first one, which is great because we can start out comfortable, but it's seated. Chapters one through three talk about your position as being seated. Now, it's not like some of you may think, oh, it's just about, you know, finding a comfortable place to sit down in a chair. No. Seated has more to do with where you are seated. Because chapters 1 through 3, you're going to see, especially next week, it uses these exact words that you are seated with Christ. You ever gone to a banquet or a party or a special celebration and uh, find out that you have a seat of honor and you're seated at the, at the table with the important people? Uh, this is what Jesus is going to tell you. Uh, you are seated with the Son of God himself. You're in a very important seat. Now, I don't know what that does to you when you go to an event and you have a seat of honor, but you sit a little bit differently, don't you? You, 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 you don't eat like you normally do. You <laughs> maybe extend that pinky while you're holding the fork. I don't know, but you act differently. And so it changes your very identity, how you, how you sit there. You sit differently. You sit more elegantly. You sit as a dignitary. You don't sit as someone who's slouching and can't wait for it to end. Chapters 4 through 6, we get up from the chair and we start walking. Because chapter 4 through uh, chapter 6, verse 9, we talk about how you walk and how you walk worthy of your gospel calling. And it's not a gospel commitment, it's a calling. And so it's not about your duty, it's about your dignity and who you are and who you represent. You are a delegate and so we're going to be talking about walking, and then the third part of this letter is it gets you from walking to standing, because chapter six, verse ten through twenty-three talks about how do you stand firm against spiritual opposition. And what you're going to see here is that even though you're looking and say, like, "Oh, okay, so this is about you know spiritual about," no, everything in your life is spiritual, and so it talks about how you stand firm to every opposition because everything about you is spiritual you are a spiritual being, and your maker, your God, uh, is the ultimate spiritual guide. And so we're going to be sitting, and then we're going to be walking, and then we're going to be standing um, throughout this entire letter. So now I'm going to take a step back And let's take a look at these first 14 verses. Next week, we're gonna go through the second half of this chapter, verses 15 to 23. But today, we're just gonna look at this. So starting with verse three, you'll notice I bold-faced some words here. And I wanna ask you, what do you think, in verse three, it means to be blessed in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing? What do you think it means to be blessed in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing? And what I mean by that is, how are you blessed? What are the blessings that you have right now because you are seated with Christ? So if you will, raise a comment card or a question card, and, uh, and we're going to get a microphone to, uh, to you as you want to just share, how are we as God's church, how are we blessed today? And the beautiful thing is there's no wrong answer. So I have one microphone right there, so we're going to get to Raul first, right here. Go ahead, brother.
1: I would like to give some background to this. Please, yes. Um, I was fortunate to go to Ephesus yes. some years ago. And, yeah, and,
0: and by the way, I know, but share, share with the people uh, your occupation, because it also gives us background to what you're about to say.
1: You get me into trouble.
0: I do, every week and I'm you do the same with
1: me so we're, we're best of friends
2: <laughs>
1: yes um i'm a paleontologist a paleontologist yes and geologist i yep. study rocks and, and fossils yes current i study fossil whales for many years and currently i'm more into studying dinosaur footprints and tracks mm-hmm. and tail marks mm-hmm. and also bird tracks fossilized yeah anyway and I travel a lot. I visit places that, you know, common folks usually don't go to because they are hard to get to. And, and there's no gift shop. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and for me are the best places to go to. Yeah. So, um, and I've been to many biblical sites, um, Bible sites, and many, and um, with um, knowledgeable people, and also after reading a lot, so when I go, I learn. and uh, So I want to share what Please. I learned in Ephesus, yes. <laughs> some of the things. Excellent. Um, there's a library there, mm-hmm. or there was. One of the most beautiful buildings is the library that is still standing. No yeah. books, of course.
0: That's the one that most people have seen photos of these mm. pillars that are remaining. Yeah.
1: And when you read the book of Ephesus, you realize that Paul intently mm-hmm. wrote a letter for learned people. Yes. It's not a, a, and just any letter. It is, the language is, is so good. I mean, it's, it's carefully, that letter was carefully crafted because yeah. it was not a community of unlearned people. But the, uh, it, um, the Temple of Diana is very relevant to what he says in the book. Yes. Diana was Artemis in, in Greek and asteroid in the old testament is the the goddess of uh fertility yes the fertility for people and the crops and cattle so uh, several times a year there were these festivals of fertility everybody was supposed to attend yes everybody male people especially if you don't attend because you're a christian you risk your life and The life of your family because if there is a drought hail or storm then they blame you
0: because the community did not appease the God
1: exactly Exactly. and I'll finish with this (laughs) Um, so Paul starts out the letter with something like you have to think differently. Your blessings come from a different God, from yes. a different place. Yes. And you are, you are blessed. And also, if you go through the language, there are like 10 or 12 words that indicate possession or on- ownership by God, yes. inheritance, uh, redemption, chosen, predestined, possession. Paul is insisting, calm, have peace yeah. first, you are owned by a different God, one who has real power and you are blessed regardless that other God that occurs outside town.
0: Yes, I love that. And that. uh, thank you very much for, for giving us that context because that is the real reason why, okay, you're sending a letter to a group of people who live in a very challenging church location because there's a lot of religious opposition. So when you're sending a letter into that scenario, what do you start with? You start with the problem of a difference of perspective. And so he starts out just like what you said, Raoul. He starts with the difference of perspective is that even though you live in a community that says because you aren't worshiping Artemis or Diana, as, as we say, um, you are removing every blessing that we could possibly get from our community. Because like you said, if there's a drought or if our economy goes down, today we're very fortunate we get to blame one politician if the economy goes down. <laughs> and every four years we try to prove that he's the reason why and we replaced with somebody else, so the economy might go back up. In a similar way, there was one individual responsible for the economy in Ephesus, and that was the goddess Artemis or Diana. Same person, different names, depending on whether you're saying in one language or another. And if you, the community, offended the one person responsible for your your economy, then that one person who could have blessed has an excuse to not bless, but the cause, the finger-pointing was not to the goddess. It was to the community member who said, I don't believe that's where the blessing comes from. Over here, yes, uh, red microphone. Um, Did I you...
2: think one of the things about blessing is a human interpretation of what a blessing is versus the spiritual yes. definition of what of what that is, and um, I think that probably most of my life I've interpreted it more like from a human perspective. You know, we think if we have enough mm-hmm. temporal things, our jobs go well, yeah. that type of thing, we're blessed. But as I've studied more, I think it's really more about how God created us to be, um, where love is the currency of life. It's going to look totally upside down. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's not so much if you do such and such and such, I'm, I'm, I got it, I'm going to decide to shower you with blessings, as opposed to when I live in harmony with the way he designed me to, then the natural consequence of that is going to be blessing by character development, by maybe mm-hmm. not the things happening around me yeah. looking better to anybody else, but yeah. I can have peace knowing he's there. He's yeah. tr- I can trust him, he's got my back. Yeah. Um, so I think how you define blessing, your perspective on that has um, a great deal to do with how you interpret this. D-
0: yeah, and I'm seeing love it cards go up because that's it, it's not only profound, it's, 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 it's very apropos. To what we're talking about today. Um, You've probably worked with a lot of people, I've worked with a lot of people who, when they're praying for blessings, they're not praying, they're they're praying to get a blessing, not to be a blessing. And I, I think that's one of the greatest travesties within modern Christendom, is our gospel has led us to say, if you do what God wants, God will give you blessings. When Scripture tells us when you, go, when you do what God wants, you are a blessing. Um, and that's why in John 13:34 and 35, Jesus focuses as he's trying to give his final instructions to his disciples in what is the most important thing that makes a difference between followers of Christ and non-followers of Christ. He says the world will recognize you because you are a blessing. He says it in these words. The world will recognize you if you love one another. Um, That's being a blessing. That's not saying the world will recognize you because you're richer than everybody else, and like Solomon and Abraham, you have more riches. Um, Scripture says that you give more riches, and that's how people will recognize you as a a follower of God. Now, I want us to jump down to the next couple of verses, verses 4, 5, and then it picks up again in verse 11. These verses say, that God chose you before the creation of the world and predestined you according to a plan. What might this say about you, and what does it say about God? Now, we're getting into this predestination stuff that you raised your yes, no, and maybe card. So now it's time for you to prove uh, why you raised that card, Uh, and I'm going to start back here with the red microphone. Yes.
3: So as, and you... I was listening to you read that text it seemed to me like there was no way Paul could be more clear he in every way he said things that if you choose to accept Christ your your salvation is assured and so I I guess if you don't accept that or you have questions about it you're you're saying it's too good to be true Mm -hmm. or you're not really believing the word of God so why do why do Adventists all over the world struggle with this so much Hmm. Um, in you, you said that only 10% will raise their hand. So is there, if there's one, is there, I know there's many reasons, but if there was one reason you would say, what would it be?
0: That the one reason why they don't raise their hand?
3: What, 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 yeah, why exactly?
0: Yeah. I think it's because we don't understand predestination. I, I think it's because we don't understand Ephesians. I think it's because we haven't read Galatians. I think it's because we read through Romans and, and we only pull out that the parts that, let us know the very simple ABCs one, two, threes of what do I need to do to get what I need, which is assurance of salvation. But we read through those things and realize we're so far from it, but we skip over chapters like Romans chapter seven, especially verses 14 to 21, when Paul says the things I wanna do, I don't do. Things I don't wanna do, those are the things I keep on doing. And he goes back and forth, I call it the rapper's chapter, because he says I do and I don't do. So many times it would make a really good rap, I'm really surprised no one's made it yet. And no, (laughs) I am not going to. (laughs) I think the challenge is we want a list of do's and don'ts. We don't want a relationship. And unfortunately, like a junior high or a young high school couple, uh, we start out the same conversation that you had when you started dating. So what's your pet peeves? Well, here's my list of pet peeves. What's your list of pet peeves? And we look at that list of pet peeves to make sure we're not doing what would turn them off because we really like this being in relationship thing and we don't want to lose that. But then over time, we realize they have a bunch of other pet peeves we didn't put on our list and we really don't like them and they really don't like us and it gets ugly. And then they kept our sweatshirt that we love so much and then it becomes a heartbreak more about the sweatshirt than them. And we do that relationally if we're immature and so what God's blueprint is all about is how do you have a mature relationship with God so that you don't get into this position to where you are in insecure relationship with God because we can't have insecure relationship any of you who have ever tried doing long distance dating raise your hand if you've done that don't be embarrassed we've all we've all prayed for you at one time or another the number one challenge with long distance relationships is insecurity in every sense of the word. And so in looking at this, I think the, the long answer to your short question is because it is a long distance relationship with God and us and because many of us have, have tried to do the things people are telling us to do to have a secure relationship with God, but we haven't really received a big picture of what does the Bible really say about God and and what he wants us to do to have that relationship I think because of that um, we haven't had this assurance that we are saved when I was a young kid uh high school age I lived in Texas and that is uh, a place the predominant uh uh denomination in that place and at that time I won't tell you what year because I'm I'm older than I look but um the number one question that my Baptist friends would come and ask me is, so when were you saved? And as a boy that grew up Adventist, I knew I wasn't supposed to say I was saved because if I said I was saved, the moment I said I was saved, I was lost because I'm still supposed to be working out my salvation. Otherwise, I could, through gradualization, backslide and think I was saved but not be saved that's the theology i grew up with and some of you grew up with something similar you're not supposed to be secure you're not supposed to say i was saved i'm still working out my salvation but i look back now as a theologian and i look at the beauty of being able to point to a day and a time that say i got it at that moment and i'm still growing but from that moment on i lived with the guarantee of salvation and i live my life like i'm like i'm paid for living like i'm paid for not living like i'm still worried that God's gonna come. Oh no, is that a cloud the size of a man's hand? I'm not ready.
3: There's security there. Mike. I'm gonna date myself here a little bit. When I was in academy, I had a Bible teacher that went up to the chalkboard and he drew on that chalkboard. On the far right side, he drew some flames. Mm -hmm. And on the far left side, he drew a cross. And he drew a line between the two. And he asked us, where are you on this line?
0: Uh, Continuum. Okay,
3: And everybody went up and put an X as to where they felt they were on the line. And the most significant thing that he said was if you are a complete saint and you are standing next to God by the cross and you're pointing, other direction you're not saved Hmm. if you're standing next to the flames and you're pointing towards god you are saved Hmm. what it's all about is which direction are you going
0: yeah i I love that which way are your toes pointing yeah 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 i I love that mike sharon red mike
4: Jack and I watched Colin Powell's funeral service yesterday, yeah. and I was really struck by one thing, that too often we, we feel that we need to identify ourselves by what is on our CV, the things yeah. we've accomplished, the yeah. uh, obstacles we've overcome. And those things we may have to tell somebody about, but who we really are is things we don't even have to tell people about. The things like kindness and love and gentleness, um, and those are the things that we should be striving for rather than always thinking of what
3: we've accomplished.
0: Uh, that's that's so true. Sharon, how many times have we introduced ourselves to people and we asked the logical question, So who are you? What's the response you get? Well, First of all, you can get the syllables that their parents chose to name them as an infant. They will give you their name. Um, And so they will give you those syllables that mean something to them. And now you're trying to remember what did they just say because they told me their name and I got to remember it. The second piece of information you typically get from people when you say who are you is what they do for an occupation or whether they're between occupations. They tell you what they do for money. And then if you dig a little deeper, who are you? Maybe you'll get a little bit about where they are in their family. Well, I'm the brother of this person over here, and that's how you should connect me as I'm part of this family. And then if you ask them a little bit more, and they may tell you where they went to school and uh, what other degrees or what other jobs they did in the past, and you ask them more, it's all that. Their identity is not the list of things that you just said, Sharon. It's funny that identity typically only comes out during eulogies at funerals. After we get past where they were born and where they went to school and what they did for a job. Then we get into the good stuff, the real identity. And as we get into what Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14 says about your identity, and the rest of the chapter will tell you about your identity, it's going to completely change, even possibly, the way that you answer that question. When people say, Who are you? and not to be coy, and not to just have some unique answer. It will change the way that you answer people because your identity is not all the things that I just listed. Because most of the things I just listed, you had no choice in. You had no choice in what your parents called you. That's why many of you go by your middle name or your <laughs> initials. Um, you, many of you had no choice where you were born or where you grew up or who your family members are. Uh, and some of you, uh, I, I know, uh, from being a counselor and a, and a, uh, a chaplain at PUC. Many uh, did not have a choice of what you were going to go to college for because your parents said, I'll pay for it if you do this. And so in many ways, our identity is wrapped up in something that we had no choice over. God's going to show you you have a choice, and he has a choice. And when those two things come together, it changes everything. All right, I think purple mic was next and then green mic. Yeah, purple mic. Go for it.
4: Hi. Ooh. Hi. Hi. Um. So I'm gonna go back to the word predestined. You said that um, it's the answer to uh, the question, uh, well, you were talking about um, if you were chosen before creation and predestined. um, So our issue is understanding that word. Yes. But I'm kind of wondering if other people have had this experience growing up um, very conservative Adventist, I went to private school most of my life, a little bit public when I was younger, and then I begged to go my junior year. My mom only let me go one year. Hmm. I met a lot of amazing Christians. Hmm. And, oh wow, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, (laughs) So when I went there, you know, these kids were going to Friday night football games, Hmm. and they were Christian, and it was okay for them, but it wasn't okay for me. And all these weird things made me question and get bugged and kind of angry. And I spent time with some of the families and went to church with them. And I'm like, these are beautiful people. They're not Seventh-day Adventists, but they're amazing and godly. So my mind was really working and out of frustration, I just picked up the Bible and day after day, I was reading and reading, kind of trying to get mad at my parents and say, see, (laughs) or something. But um, so it was so beautiful. I had this light turned on reading your salvation you know Jesus did it at the cross basically just accept I was picking that up and I was underlining and I was just in awe and so I was also in junior high no um, high school youth group church um, and the Sabbath school questioned everybody she said how many of you here can say you're you will be saved and at the time you know yeah i'm a kid and i've got my issues and whatnot but i thought i've been praying about this i've been wondering i've been asking and it changed my mind and life just reading yeah and um no i'm not perfect Hmm. but i thought to myself well the way she asked how many of you feel you're guaranteed and i thought you know it says it in the bible all we have to do is accept I'm looking around and nobody raised their hand and I wanted to, but I just thought this seems so weird Mm. because I feel it was a little bit of a works taught thing. You know, keep the Sabbath, Mm -hmm. don't dress like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I kind of pushed that aside and found other things in the Bible. And um, she actually said to me, once my hand was visible, she said, see that, that is what we should not do. I was horrified but I just thought you know what I've been reading I've been doing my reading and I'll just you know agree to disagree and um I've never forgotten that and then talking to my father I one time around the same time maybe a year or so later I was a little frustrated like why why don't I feel good enough and he said mija that's what he called me in Spanish mija Jesus did it for you at the cross you don't have to do anything I mean From my Mm. parents who, so what I'm saying is um, I do have this feeling that for a while it Mm. wasn't so much my, what I see now is my interpretation. I can understand, I know you're probably going to clarify that more or whatever, but the predestination, Mm. we need to kind of refigure that. But growing up in a strict Adventist home, it did feel like works is what kept, you know, makes only 10% raise their hand versus 98. I don't know.
0: Yeah, you and I grew up with a very, very similar experience. You look much younger than me, but we grew up in the same uh, culture wherever you grew up. Um, We're going to get to the salvation part and the security of salvation through uh, the first two chapters of Ephesians. So we're going to talk more about this. So I, I want you to understand I'm not skipping over answering that. Just understand, come back next week and the week after, especially those two weeks, we really are going to be opening up this whole thing about security and salvation. But I am gonna touch on the predestination part. Because if you look at the scripture, what does it say you are predestined for? Or what is this predestination? And you can look in verse four, for he chose us, that's the first thing, he chose us in him, before the creation of the world. So first of all, just like Raul let us know, ultimately, this is everything being turned upside down. You had to choose Diana. You had to choose her. If you wanted good things to come into your life, it was your choice aiming heavenward. Paul turns it on his head and says, no, you don't understand. Before you were a twinkle in your parents' eyes, Because this is before all of creation, God chose you. It's the same thing that Christ did when he came down and he asked his disciples, follow me. No other rabbi ever before Christ, and I doubt since Christ, ever asked a disciple to follow them. It was probably one of the most humiliating and undignified things a rabbi could ever do. You would never ask a disciple to follow you. They had to submit an application and pray and hope that you would accept them. A disciple always chose the rabbi. A rabbi never chose the disciple. That's why we read past this and don't realize how the people in the first century church would gasp when they would read Jesus saying, follow me, whoever would do that, would stoop to that level. Paul is saying God did that before you were ever born. He chose you. You don't have to choose him first. That's why we have verses, you know, while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were still not even looking his way, Christ died for you. He loved us before we ever loved him. This is the revolution that's happening, that we take for granted because it's become cliche to us in our world at our time. But in the time of the Ephesians, God choosing you never happened with any other God of any other religion in the world. And so this is revolutionary to the people in Ephesus to see God chose you before you ever had a choice before the first human, before Adam and Eve. God chose you. And he goes on to say, He chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for what? For adoption. Okay, this is where it changes. Now, it says of sonship. Ladies, you're invited to. Remember, it's just the pronouns of that time were all male-dominated. I'm sorry, but it includes you as well. So, flip over to the back side of your study guide, because I want to show you a couple of things real quick. First of all, predestined in verse five is the Greek word proorisas, prooresos, which literally means marked out beforehand. So imagine somebody has a journal and they mark out beforehand a plan. Let's say you're going on a vacation and you know there's specific landmarks you want to see, specific events, specific shows, whatever it is, you mark down your itinerary before it ever happens. So what this word predestines, prooresis, means is that before you were even born, God marked out an itinerary plan, a plan of what you're going to do. Now, those of you who have gone on any sort of road trip or vacation and you've written out your plan, you know one thing for certain. It never goes exactly as planned. (laughs) I have a crazy friend. His name is John, and when uh, we had just graduated from college, uh, we took a road trip from Texas all the way to uh, Colorado. He had an Excel spreadsheet that he printed out, and he printed out exactly what cities that we would be in at precisely what time. This is before GPS, my friends. This is the early 90s, 93. To make it even... More obnoxious, he's a huge fan of the band U2. And he had marked out that he was going to listen to every song by U2 in chronological order. And on one column of the Excel spreadsheet, it had exactly what song would be playing when we came to that town. (laughs) It's the only itinerary I've ever seen that was precise. As far as everything else we did, it was up for grabs. But God has written out an itinerary for your road trip. But because you are also a passenger on the road trip, we also know that from time to time we're going to have a pit stop or a, hey, look at that moment, can we stop? And so predestination means that God, because he loves you so much and because of how he created everything. Many of us grew up learning Newtonian physics where there is only one timeline, Scientists today are proving that that is not true. There are multiple timelines and branches for every decision we make, and now they're realizing, and they're calling it quantum physics, scientists are proving God. That's why when they discover these particles called the Higgs boson, it's the scientists who are calling it the God particle. Because science is coming to a place of realizing there's only one answer to the origin of all this. There has to be an intelligent God who created it all. And so you have to take a step back and see that God created the universe in a way that you can play with it too. And you can decide what outcome comes from something that can be seen from outside of time. All realities, all ending points can be seen outside of time, and God writes a plan, and he says, my plan is that as many people as possible will be in a saving relationship with me so I can take them to heaven, and they can live life the way that I created them to live. But you get to also take a pen and start writing on that plan what your plan is. That's why it's so important that you understand why Paul used the word adoption. In verse 5, he says you were predestined to be adopted into sonship. If you look at William Barclay's uh, writing about this concept, he writes of this Roman concept of adoption in his commentary on Ephesians, and this is what he says. When the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son of his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. So new uh, so was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed." So when you look at this, he says, you've been predestined to be adopted. So, do you still have a choice? You're an adopted sibling, you've been brought in, all your debts are forgiven, all the bad things that you've escaped from that family, you're into an amazing family. Do you still have free will? Do you still have a choice? Can you run away? Oh, of course you can. So predestination doesn't mean that there are certain people that have a choice, uh, well, have been chosen, I should say, by God to be saved, and certain people that have been chosen to be lost. You can't find that in Scripture. You can't read all of Scripture and come up with that theology as a solid theology. But what you can see is you serve a God who loves you so much that he wants to adopt you to forgive all the past debts. He's predestined. He's written down as part of his plan that you would become a child that's indistinguishable from someone who is ever outside of his family, and that ultimately you would have all the rights and privileges as a son or daughter of God. That's his first thing. But I, I want you to see something else here really quickly. When you look at verses 13 and 14, it says you are marked with a seal or a deposit guaranteeing. And a couple of things I want you to see here is the mark is what? Is the Holy Spirit. And this is where we really miss it because we look at some other things that were said in our church and our early writings and stuff like that, which talk about things such as the Sabbath, which I think is very important for you to have a family day with God, the same way that many of you who are great parents have a family day with your children and your spouse. It's important to make time. Uh, during a crazy, hectic life, crazy week for you to have a day that you all come together and say, let's grow. Let's grow together. And so Sabbath, although being very, very important, is not the mark of your salvation. Because if if it were, all the Pharisees would be in right relationship with God and Jesus would be lost. Because the one thing the Pharisees really disliked about Jesus was the way he kept the Sabbath. Right? So, If you just look at scripture right here, and you're going to see later on in the letter, you'll see that Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a mark. But here's something that's even cooler. The word used here for deposit is significantly the same word used in modern Greek for an engagement ring. So if you're reading this in Greek, you understood Greek, you'd say, wait a minute, what are we doing here? So what he actually said in verses 13 and 14 is, you were, you were engaged in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is an engagement ring of our inheritance. And some of you (laughs) said, a watch for you ladies, yes. A watch, not a ring. And we don't want to talk about jewelry. Yes, that's right. The significance of an engagement ring, though, think of this. How much does God know? How much does He know about your character? How much does He know about your personality? How much does he know about how you respond and react to different situations? And he still wants to marry you? Some of you have children that are getting to the age of getting engaged and married, and you are scared to death. Oh, Lord, not that girl. Of all the guys in the world, why does she have to drag that one home? This deadbeat knowing everything you know about them? Would you be excited? If they're not the right person, they're not serious. God knows you're not serious. God knows you're not the right person, and he's slipping that ring on your finger saying, I want to marry you. I couldn't imagine my life without you. Back here, Diane. Purple mic. One of
4: the things that um, when we were um, with maryland and doing our bible study it's my understanding that you could disown your children in roman times but you could not disown your adopted child
0: yep absolutely absolutely it was such an important law that you could not there was no such thing as foster parenting you adopted them forever or you did not adopt them interesting in this conversation as well is adoption was a foreign concept to judaism it didn't exist and paul uses something outside of jewish understanding and practice to say god is wanting to do a commitment that only the outsiders do in a way that's unbreakable like you said diane and his ultimate goal is to help you understand he has seated you with Christ, but not only given you the seat of honor, but your identity now is not as a sinner, but a saint. Because that's how he introduces himself to the saints, the people who truly are sons and daughters, legitimate sons and daughters of God. So this week, as you go through your experience of work and life and family and challenges and, and all the mess of life, you may be tempted to approach this as, I'm just barely getting by, how can I get through this? And, oh Lord, I, 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 I wish the end is near and sooner sooner than I think. And You can go through your week thinking that, or you can go through your week realizing that that God himself has said, I want an everlasting relationship with you, so much so that I want to be engaged to you in that degree, because I have written it out beforehand, this is my plan. And the only way you can break that plan is if you decide that's not the plan for you. God's put it all in our hands to accept. Now, you know You've seen it before, a guy on his knee offering the engagement ring to the girl. I think about nine times out of ten, the girl accepts it, right? But there's always that one moment (laughs) that you're like, i got to get the video going on my phone because she's going to say no. The reality is you have a choice. Why do you have a choice? Because God loved you so much that he predestined you to be with him forever live with that confidence this week i sure hope that you take that hope to heart because this changes everything and i hope you really do consider accepting god's proposal that you live with him forever now this gave us a lot of confidence my shoulders are back my head is high i hope yours are too But I don't want you to live with confidence that's not based on a full understanding of God's blueprint. And that's why I want to invite you to come back for episode 71, because that's when we're going to go even deeper into Ephesians chapter 1, the second half, where we talk about how do you live with this confidence, a, a type of confidence that God really wants you to have in his salvation, in his desire to have a relationship with you. So I invite you to come back for our next session of God's Blueprint, Episode 71. I know your life's going to be changed in between now and then. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats and the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.